You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach, and I'm just back from a quick trip to California to see my Exhibit B. Usually, when I visit Los Angeles, I try to see as many friends as I can, going for at least three meals a day in a frenzy of catching up and overeating and overdrinking and not really having any time for myself, even. Instead, this trip, I was mostly Velcroed to my daughter, and I saw her friends and overate and overdrank with them. The point is, my appetite for life experiences is still huge, but I just can't do everything, and I'm finally realizing that. Is it a function of age, of resignation, of exhaustion, of jet lag? I don't know. I'm going to say, because it's self-serving, that it's maturity, an awareness that there will be a next time, and I can have different priorities on another trip. Now, of course, social media made me self-conscious because I think I posted a picture or two of something I saw in California, and then I thought, oh, no, people are going to know I'm here. But you know what? It was Exhibit B's birthday, and that's why I was there, and I know that she and I had a very meaningful visit. Anyway, on to my five things of this week. Number one was a movie I saw on the plane going out there called Gloria Bell. Gloria Bell was, I guess you would call it, an independent comedy drama film from last year starring Julianne Moore, John Turturro, Michael Sarah, and Holland Taylor. And it is an adaptation of a Spanish-language movie made by the Chilean uh, writer-director Sebastian Lelio, who remade it in English with this cast. It's about a divorced woman, about 50, with grown children. And this movie has completely stayed with me. It's stuck. I almost thought of watching it again on the flight home. So Gloria is a woman with friends. She lives in Los Angeles. She has meaningful work. She has adult children, but she's lonely. And she loves to dance, and she meets guys at these dance clubs she goes to, dot, dot, dot. The music is important in this movie. And of course, Laura Branigan's song, Gloria, is the music you hear as the movie wraps up. And of course, it's an earwig. Is that what they call it? An earwig? It's an earbug? Anyway, it's like a curse, except I like the song, but I've been hearing Gloria, 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 for a week. But anyway, Gloria Bell, I recommend it. Number two, healthier food choices at the airports. I have noticed this. It's not just your basic chicken Caesar salad. Although basically, if you go to any food place in an airport terminal, you have your choice of chicken Caesar salads from every single, whether it's Hudson News or whether it's SIBO or whether it's Wolfgang Puck, everybody has a chicken Caesar. I don't know why that is. Is it because it's fake healthy? Because with all the cheese and Parmesan and salad dressing, I don't think it's very dietetic. But you can now get coffee with soy milk. You can get actual salads that don't have 
Caesar dressing. You can I, I'm noticing it and I'm appreciating it. So I want to underscore that it exists. There was one in at LAX called Earth Foods that had vegan stuff even. And I'm just I'm impressed. It's better. I mean, because it's very hard to remember to bring your own food. I don't know. It's it's hard for me to remember to bring my own food. So nice to overpay for healthy food. Number three, the realization that I don't really have to wear heels to be stylish. I've been very, I'm sad about the heels. I, I am. But when I see young people, and in this case, I'm going to include Melania Trump, in her stilettos and and Meghan Markle in her stilettos. I look at them and yes, it looks sexy, but it does not look comfortable and it doesn't even look worth it to wear those heels. And I'm so glad that I can wear my flats or kitten heels and not feel like a, a glunk. And of course, young people wear sneakers with everything. Now, I am not ready to wear sneakers with a skirt. In fact, I once said, if you ever see me wearing sneakers and a skirt, you'll know I've given up. But now young people are wearing, you know, very expensive sneakers and skirts. I think they look stupid. Anyway, it's a pleasure not to be running around in high heels. Did I mention that it was Exhibit B's birthday? That's number four. Exhibit B had a wonderful birthday on Saturday. Her boyfriend took us out to brunch. That was so cool. We saw the actor Peter McNichol, who plays Jonah Ryan's uncle in Veep at the restaurant. We did. We had a lot of sightings of celebrities. Then that night, we went to this fantastic Mexican restaurant called Tallulah's in Santa Monica. Ted Danson was there, I think because it was her birthday. I'm not sure. We just had so much fun. And she said it was the best birthday she ever had. Her friends were really fun and nice. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed everything about it. And number five, the theatrical presentation of the investigation, which was a live reading of, wait for it, the Mueller Report. This is streaming. You can find it online wherever you go online. It's called The Investigation. John Lithgow as Donald Trump was magnificent. He didn't do an impersonation. He didn't do the vo- the voice and the, the, you know, he didn't do that. And he was still fantastic. Remember him in The Crown as Winston Churchill? He was fantastic there. Is there anything that man cannot do? Anyway, it's not the usual celebrities who are in all those PSAs in a white t-shirt saying enough. It's Annette Benning and Kevin Klein and Michael Shannon and uh, Jason Alexander as Chris Christie. Very good casting. And it was put together by the playwright, I think his name is Robert Schenken, who is the guy who did the Kentucky Cycle, the the writer who, who wrote the Pulitzer Prize winning Kentucky Cycle. Anyway, it was great. And now, very excited to meet Shannon Watts, the founder of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense. Shannon Watts is here in person in the studio, and her new book is Fight Like a Mother, How a Grassroots Movement Took on the Gun Lobby and Why Women Will Change the World. 
And we're not only going to talk about her book, we're going to talk about how she, as she describes herself in the book, an ordinary housewife, not really ordinary, she had five kids and had free time <laughs> while having five kids, was uh, was inspired, moved to do something about the problem with illegal guns, do something about the epidemic of gun murders and homicides and accidents. And she, in almost seven years, has made a huge difference in this country. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Shannon, why America? Why do we have this problem that no other developed country has? Is it the cowboy and Indians culture where little boys start shooting imaginary guns? And why here, not anywhere else? It's pretty clear that the reason America has a gun crisis, a gun violence crisis, is because we have a very powerful gun lobby. That's something no other high-income country has. The gun lobby has been around uh, for decades, but they became very radicalized, the leadership did, in the 70s, and they became a lobbying organization. This is not your grandfather's NRA, which was all about gun safety and hunting and different sports with guns. This is a, an organization that has profit motives. They want to protect the profits of gun manufacturers. It's no different than any other special interest. It's why Mothers Against Drunk Driving took on the alcohol lobby. Um, the, the NRA is a special interest, and they have really been able to write our nation's gun laws. When one reads about the politicians who accept money from the NRA, and it's at least probably almost every Republican who's in office now. A lot of them don't even get that much money from the NRA, from what I can gather, but enough to support the unfettered growth, whether it's bump stocks or automatic weapons, uh, or to feel that teachers should be armed, or, or whenever the vote comes to uh, whatever the issue about guns around guns, and it's not even that much money for some of them. Why do you think that that little bit of money affects their vote so much? Well, a few things. The money that we see is often not all the money they get because the NRA will also invest in advertising. Um, and so th that is very valuable to candidates to have that support during their election time. However, the NRA has also created this sense of fear among lawmakers because if you don't do what they say, they will go in and support your primary opponent. Um, so there's threats from all different sides. And there was, for a very long time, value in an A rating from the NRA. That isn't the case anymore. But people, lawmakers thought that if they had this A rating, that then they would have more votes from constituents. So all of those things combined, the NRA's money, their power, their ability to seek revenge from you uh, electorally if you didn't do what they said. So it's a shakedown organization. It, yeah. In many ways, they created this power that lawmakers, and, and frankly, it wasn't just Republicans, it was Democrats too, um, did their bidding because they were f afraid of the repercussions. When my son, who I like to call Exhibit A, was a little boy, um, his dad and I agreed that we would have no toy guns in the house. He, at age three or something, chewed a graham cracker into 
what I thought was, well, a right angle. You know, he sort of ate the center of it and then put his little finger around the stem and said, bang, bang. Where did he get that? He never saw a gun. He never heard the bang, bang. I had the exact same experience. So I have five kids, four of whom are girls. The youngest is a boy. And we didn't raise him to play with guns or, you know, he certainly wasn't seeing violent movies. And he was in the bathtub one day with all the girls Barbies. Mm -hmm. And I thought he would just throw them out. And instead, what he did was rip their heads off and turn them into guns. So it's almost like this. I thought, oh, well, I won't be raising them exactly alike because there are some serious differences. Yes. But isn't that weird? It's almost innate. Well, that brings me to the point of men and guns. I mean, the mass murders that are committed in this country are, what, 90 percent, 95 percent perpetrated by men? There's a a real correlation between uh, toxic masculinity in America and the gun violence that we see. The majority of mass shootings are started by domestic violence incidents. Uh, The majority of mass shooters have some kind of domestic violence in their history. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think Nicholas Kristof said it best, the editorial writer at the New York Times. He said, in other nations, um, brutes put their wives in hospitals. In America, they put them in graves. Every country is home to toxic masculinity, but only Americans give them easy access to arsenals and ammunition. Now, even when uh, you say most of them have a history of domestic violence, so even if they're going to their place of work or, or a shopping mall, they're still keyed up, fired up, they have a gun, they don't know how to deal with their anger or frustration or jealousy, so they just decide to shoot people. Well, you know, there's this idea of when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And even if you look at things like uh, road rage, Mm -hmm. the incidence of road rage involving guns doubled between 2015 and 2016. And so anytime you add guns to the mix, you have the potential of this, what the NRA would call a good guy with a gun, very quickly becoming a bad guy with a gun. And not because they have a criminal history, but because they have easy access to guns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they want, the lobby wants guns to be carried wherever they, wherever a gun owner is, they should be able to walk around with a gun. Uh, I read in your book, Fight Like a Mother, how... At various legislative votes and when you and your teams have spread out and gone to lobby, people will show up with guns to intimidate you. That's right. That and, would, they're le- and they're allowed to do that. Yeah. In 45 states, there's something called open carry that's legal. And that's this idea that you can take a long gun, like a semi-automatic rifle or a gun loosely in your pocket, no holster, and just walk around in public. Uh, I live in Colorado and we see it all the time. And... I didn't even realize that that was legal when I started Moms Demand Action. And what happened right away was that we would have rallies or marches or events, and we would have our kids in tow. And suddenly we would see this group of armed, usually men, um, show up to try to silence or intimidate us. And it still happens even today. We just had uh, our Wear Orange weekend in June, which we have annually to bring awareness to the crisis of gun violence. And in Ohio, a lot of armed men showed up to try to intimidate or silence our volunteers. And so this is something that, that happens regularly, but 
you know, we aren't going to be silenced, so we're not going to be intimidated. <laughs> the CDC or the National Institute of Health does consider gun violence to be a health epidemic, a safety epidemic. How is it that they don't go mano a mano with the NRA, or do they? Do they have people who are who are debating with uh, gun activists as we speak? Well, the NRA was able to get Congress to stop investing money in research around gun violence prevention in the 90s. So we don't really understand the extent of our crisis or even how to solve it. We have to rely on research done by medical institutions, um, by research facilities, our own organization. Uh, Every Town for Gun Safety does a great deal of research on the subject. But what we really need is for the government to get back in the business of, of researching this issue and helping us understand at a federal level what best ways to employ so that we can address the crisis. And that's not likely going to happen in this administration. Yeah, we've Donald Trump is sort of a wild card on this issue. The NRA gave him $30 million in his campaign, more Mm -hmm. than any other outside donor. And so certainly they expected a return on their investment, and they did not get one. Even though there was a Republican president, a Republican Congress, uh, Moms Demand Action volunteers and others were able to play really good defense, and they couldn't pass their two priority pieces of legislation. Uh, and so sometimes this is not just a game of offense. We do certainly pass stronger gun laws all across the country, but it's important to play defense too and to stop the bad bills from passing. Speaking of which, um, is there ever going to be a constitutional review of the Second Amendment? And do you support one if there would be? Well, we think the Second Amendment is pretty clear. And even in the Heller case, which was decided by the Supreme Court, they said uh, there's no amendment that can't be regulated, essentially. And so we know that the laws that we're working to help pass are constitutionally sound. Um, It's really that we need to make sure that the gun lobby's interpretation of the Second Amendment is not what's being applied. Well, a militia refers to, as is described in the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia is for the defense of the country, not because you're in a bad mood. (laughs) Right. I mean, and what perplexes me is how that phrase can have so many interpretations. Of course, they're opportunistic on both sides. No, militia doesn't mean automatic weapons. It shouldn't. You know, people have suggested that, sure, everyone can have a musket, you know, (laughs) But the number of guns, as you've written in your book, outnumber the number of Americans. Right. There are 400 million guns in this country in civilians' hands. About 17% of the gun owners own over half of those guns. So it goes to show you that the gun lobby has convinced a certain amount of Americans that they need to own an arsenal. Uh, And that... If, if the NRA's experiment of more guns and fewer gun laws was successful, we'd be the safest country in the world. Instead, we have 25 times higher gun homicide rate than any other developed nation. Is there a country that does this right? Obviously, as you said, the other no other country has an NRA. But with that being said, is there a country that manages its weapons, its guns better? There are other uh, countries that have high gun rates ownership per capita. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, But 
obviously there's no other nation that has our levels of gun violence. If you look at Israel, for example, they have incredibly strict gun laws. You have to store your guns by sundown and they they require training and background checks and all of the things that the NRA is working to erode in this country. And this is so they can please Winchester and uh, Glock or I, I, I don't even know the names of the manufacturers, but this is so they can... Well, the NRA is a front for gun manufacturers, and right. gun manufacturers' whole goal is to sell guns and accessories because it's been an incredibly profitable business for so long, especially with a Democrat in the White House. They can use that person as a boogeyman to sell guns. After the Sandy Hook shooting tragedy, the NRA's annual budget rose by over $100 million because so many people went out and bought guns. They were afraid that they were going to be confiscated. Uh, so the NRA has seen, and gun manufacturers have seen a significant drop in gun sales since Donald Trump was elected. We call it the Trump slump. Um, at least $100 million in revenue losses just since 2016. And that's wow. why we see them trying to um, loosen gun laws at a state level. It's why we see them trying to dereg- deregulate silencers. Right. Um, all of these things, armed teachers, they're all a cash cow for gun manufacturers. So so when a person who works for the NRA, let's say, or works for a manufacturer, let's say, sees a tragedy on the news that a fa- that kids were killed or or innocent bystanders were killed in a mass shooting. That person has to say to him or herself, "Wow. I helped that. I helped make that." I helped, I, I, good for us, that's great, good publicity for our guns, for our silencers, for our bump stocks. I mean, it, it almost doesn't seem human to me to be on the side of guns. I, I'm an admittedly very biased person on this subject, but it's a, it's a certain kind of, I, I don't know, moral vacuum. Well, I mean, it, it, first of all, I will tell you that, you know, we, we aren't opposed to the Second Amendment. Many of our volunteers are gun owners or they're married to gun owners. But this is about restoring the responsibilities that go along with gun rights. And certainly the leadership of the NRA, um, they are fueled by greed, as are gun manufacturers. And they would argue with you after, every time there's a shooting tragedy that more guns would have somehow solved it. Right. And this is uh, this is my next question to you. In in that argument, let's say if the teachers had been armed, then the kids would have been safe. No, it turns everything into chaos, flying bullets on both sides. How would that make anybody safe? Well, if you look at the recent shooting in Douglas County, uh, near where I live in Colorado, if, if you remember at the STEM school, it was just a couple months ago. And... A new report just came out talking about the aftermath of that shooting, and there was an armed school resource officer, Mm -hmm. and that officer accidentally shot at the Douglas County Sheriff and actually hit a student Uh as well. Right. So we know that police are able to hit moving targets about 30% of the time, and these are incredibly highly trained uh, police officers. Mm -hmm. So the idea that we're going to turn everyday teachers or school faculty into sharpshooters is obscene. How do you keep up good spirits and keep up morale when 
we get numbed. You said, do you remember the most recent shooting in Douglas County? Honestly, I don't. That shooting devastated lives. And yet, for me, it's not even on my radar because so many bad things happen every day, every week. There are shootings, you know, constantly in this country. And we do get numbed. How do we not get numb? How do we stay focused? How do you keep your troops, as it were, motivated? Yeah, it's a it's an important question. I You know, I don't know that we're numb because we do care. I think we're overwhelmed um, at times. I think the pundits aren't talking about it because many of them are beholden to the gun lobby. Um, media have run out of ways to tell the story often. And so these shootings happen and they receive too little attention. But in the communities where they're happening, the parents are terrified, right. uh, whether it's sending their kids to school or playing on the streets, you know, wherever it is. And I don't think parents will ever be numb to gun violence in this country. It's why our organization tripled in size after the Parkland tragedy, because Americans realized it was time to get off the sidelines. I honestly didn't know till Parkland or its aftermath that children in public schools all across this country, even in kindergarten or nursery school, are given live shooter training. I had no idea. I live in a bubble, I admit it, here in New York City, where we have very strong laws and where so far, thank God, there haven't been school shootings. But when you've realized, and there was a very, very good PSA I saw, maybe you produced it or every town, of a child giving adults instruction on live shooter drills. This is not the country that we are supposed to be. This is, there's blood on all of our hands in a way, don't you don't you think? Yeah, I, you know, I was just at uh, Levi's and I was speaking at their um, community volunteerism day and the CEO, Chip Berg, was telling me that in San Francisco, his kids do more active shooter drills than they do earthquake drills, which tells you a little bit about our country. We, we've we just done research and we've come out with a position on this issue of active shooter drills, which are done all over the country. Mm-hmm. And that is that there is no data or research that shows they help in an actual active shooter situation when children are involved in these drills, right? They don't result in better outcomes. However, there is data and research that shows these drills cause anxiety and yes. depression. Yes. So we are recommending that children do not do these drills, that if, if adults want to drill and teachers, that that's fine. But they are causing trauma across the country. In fact, How could they not? In Indiana, um, they were trying to pass legislation that would allow teachers to be shot with rubber bullets so they would feel their true urgency of a mass shooting. I mean, they've turned into such... Um, over-the-top, Rambo-style yeah. shooter drills. And, they're, of course, they're terrifying. I, I can't even imagine. I, I'm, I'm imagining 10-year-old Lisa having to deal with that and then trying to make it like it's no big deal. Yeah, of how course. can you... You kids can't feel safe in schools if they're constantly worried there's going to be an active shooter that comes right. in. So your organization, Moms Demand... Action is going to recommend that the drills be suspended for students? Well, I mean, it's up to every parent, but we are seeing data that shows that they're actually detrimental hmm. for children. Hmm. And, and to all the teachers who think that they're going to have to be armed when they can't even pay for 
construction paper. I mean, we hear stories all the time about teachers who have to pay for their own supplies and and go over and above what their school district will allow. Now guns, it, are, are there states where teachers are now having to learn how to shoot? Well, there are states uh, that have passed laws that allow teachers to be armed. Uh, it is not mandatory, and it's it's mainly up to the teachers. And, you know, I always worry about those teachers who do want to be armed. Yes. But um, it, we have gone, so for example, in a state like Florida, they just passed a law allowing teachers to be armed because we have this grassroots army on the ground. We've gone district by district, and we've gotten a, a large majority of the districts where students are to say they will not participate in that program. So there are different ways to get around these laws. Well, I think you're a hero. And I know you didn't start this group for your own ego or glorification. And to see women gather together with a few good men and be as effective as you are, coming from home, folding laundry to now, it's it's a, a very impressive thing, Shannon. Thank and I'm you. so glad you were able to come with us today, come be with us today. But I would love to know your five things that make life better because... Everybody still has to have a break and treat herself well. So an anti-gun violence lobbyist such as yourself. Advocate, yes. Let's, let's Anti-gun violence advocate. advocate. I like that. I do like that, too. I wish I could say it, but A-G-B-A. I do like it. An yes. AGBA, an anti-gun violence advocate uh, such as yourself <laughs> in your adorable blazer and Lacoste shirt, which did not go unnoticed here. Thank you, yes. I I learned it all from your book. Thank you. Thank you, I guess. Um, you let, Let's just um, change the, the direction a little bit and talk about self-care in this time of terrible crisis. Mm-hmm. It's important. It's not frivolous. It's taken me a long time to understand that when people would say, oh, you're very tense. You need a massage. Oh, I can't treat myself to a massage. Yeah, sometimes you you do need to just take care of yourself. How do you find that balance in your own life? Yeah, you know, I talk a lot about how this is a marathon, not a sprint. You don't get into gun violence prevention thinking you're going to make change overnight. Right. And it is also a a relay race. You have to pass the baton when you are overwhelmed or you need to prioritize other things in your life. Right. And uh, I personally, you know, I take a bath every night. That's my escape. Uh, even when I'm I'm not on vacation, just to kind of um, chill, yeah, chill yeah. and and detach from social media. But the other piece is getting outside. I love to hike. Um, I live in Colorado, which makes it very easy to do. And I just try to spend time with my family whenever I can. And it it is traumatizing to work sometimes on this issue because there's so much gun violence in this country. And so even if you haven't experienced it firsthand, you're always seeing it on the news. And Mm -hmm. we work a lot with gun violence survivors, and and really they inspire me. The idea that you would go through such a horrific experience and turn that pain into purpose to help other people, even perfect strangers, is is heroic. Lucy McBath, great (laughs) example. Yeah. Now a congresswoman. Now a congresswoman. Her son was murdered, and she became 
while she was she, her son was murdered while she was undergoing cancer treatment she had breast cancer and so she sent her son to visit her husband in Florida she was in Georgia and he was at a gas station and the there someone said his music was too loud uh, a white man and uh, Jordan who was a black teen didn't turn his music down and this white man opened fire and killed Jordan and Lucy, this was a month before the Sandy Hook shooting, Lucy turned that uh, grief into action pretty immediately. Her dad was an NAACP activist, so mm-hmm. it ran in her family. And she became a Moms to Man Action volunteer. And I can remember always saying to her, like, when are you going to run for office? And then one day she said, I, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm ready. And we canvassed for her and we supported her financially. And she won a seat in Georgia that had been held by Republicans for 30 years and New Cambridge sole seat. And the first thing she did uh, as a congresswoman was to co-sponsor and help pass a bill that would close the background check loophole. Incredible. Incredible. Very inspiring. Okay. Your five great things that help make your life better besides baths. Exactly. So first, uh, noise-canceling headphones. And this is a, a new thing to me. I had never had them before. My husband bought them. And it is I can't even explain what a game changer it is if you're on planes all the time. Mm-hmm. So you don't hear crying and snoring and all the other things that happen on planes. Uh, Frank, uh, uh, do you have the kind that fit over your head? Or yes, the, the, the big yeah, ones. The big ones. It really does block out all the noise. And yeah, then you can to listen to other things. I love them. Have to get those, yes. They're okay. chunky to travel with, but it's worth it. <laughs> Number two. Frank Ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I listen to his music all the time on the road. I'm waiting for his next album to drop, but he's always with me on the road. Uh-huh. D- uh huh. Have you seen him perform live? I haven't, but I would love to. Uh, okay, we're sending that intention thank you. out thank, there. Yes. yes. Frank Ocean tickets. Right. <laughs> Ma- I'm manifesting those. Right, exactly. And number three. Uh, the Real Real. This is also something I found within the last year, and it is so great because it's a website where you can buy uh, consigned designer items. And so because I have to wear different clothes all the time for photos or I'm on the road, um, it's a really cheap way to buy nice things. And I also consign stuff. My husband says I have a very expensive bartering system going on. <laughs> but you can buy stuff on the Real With your Real. credit. With your credit. Yes. And then you can sell it back exactly. if you and tire I've done of that. it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I Who hasn't? <laughs> Keep the tags on. That's right. <laughs> Number four. Uh, the Real Housewives. Okay, all of them? N- almost all of them, but especially New York, Orange County, and Beverly Hills. I th- that's almost all. Well, it's international, too. There are a ton of them, yeah. My lifelong dream was just realized because I was at a book party in L.A., and Kathy Hilton was there. <gasps> so that was a big deal. Is that Paris's mother? Yes. Oh, please. And, and, Ryan, and, and Kyle Richard's sister. Oh, please. Yeah. Was anybody sloppy? No, it, everyone was very put together. But I mean, just to have your picture taken with Kathy Helton, it was wow. Yeah. I took I took the opportunity to ask her if she was going to be on the Real Housewives, mm-hmm. and she was very um, vague. Oh, you know, so they, who knows? They coach her to be very vague, probably. <laughs> but wait, um, um, the the women, the what, what's the appeal? I, feel I know it's mindless and fun. It's mindless and fun, and the drama is just, you know, it's it's sort of living vicariously through them, because no one actually has a life like that. Where Including you just, them, right? You, I wonder, where you just argue with people and then drive nice cars, I don't know. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> I argue. 
I get my nails done, yeah. and then I I drive fancy cars, and then exactly. I and then I drink. <laughs> yeah, it's a life. And number five, moms demand action volunteers. They are just so amazing and and talented and strategic and fierce and persistent. Um, I think one of the most gratifying pieces of this work is having made lifelong friends through volunteering. And so many other people have met women that they're now best friends with and they vacation with and they get tattoos with. Um, And I never imagined that working on gun violence prevention would also be like a sisterhood. Wow. How many volunteers? Hundreds of thousands at this point. And just to put it in perspective, you know, in the 80s, Mothers Against Drunk Driving was such a touchstone. They have about 15,000 active volunteers. And so to have hundreds of thousands of people who wake up and work on this every day, I, I have no doubt it will get solved. Wow. Shannon, for an anti-gun violence activist and advocate, or the <laughs> advocate, you're terrific. And I'm so happy to have met you. Thank and you. Uh, I support your good work. Thank you so much Thank for being Thank you so here. much. It was an honor. Thank you. You've been listening to Five Things That Make Life Better with me, Lisa Birnbach. My guest this week has been Shannon Watts, founder of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America and author of the recently published book, Fight Like a Mother, How a Grassroots Movement Took on the Gun Lobby and Why Women Will Change the World. To find out more about Shannon and her work, please visit her website at momsdemandaction.org. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week will be our one-year anniversary. They said it wouldn't last. My guest will be Jamie Lee Curtis, so please listen next week. My blog is at lisabernbach.com, where you will find links and photos about all the things we spoke about today. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com. My engineer is Jimmy Regan. My team is Spresso Rucci, Michael Port, and Sam Haft. Until next week, stay cool and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.